0: This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the Dragonfly range of USB DACs. Click to AudioQuest.com for
1: more information.
0: So another episode of the Darko Audio podcast is upon us. Joining me this week from his mom's basement. He calls it the barn, <laughs> but it's his mom's basement really. Is uh, Michael Lavonia. Michael
1: Lavonia, how are you? Uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm wonderful. I, I've got my slippers on and my mom's gonna bring me down some chicken noodle soup in a minute and uh, not milk and cookies. <laughs> no, no, it's only, it's only noontime here, John.
0: Uh, okay, do you know? What? Actually, I was thinking about having um having a, a glass of wine or something for this episode because last week I spoke for a very long time with Trujan from Six Moons, and I pretty much tripped over my words nonstop for the entire episode. And it's <laughs> honestly, it was like <laughs> so. I'm hoping I'm not going to have a repeat of that this week, hmm. um, but I am completely sober. I've just had a cup of tea, so. Let's start with some news, right? Some news. Today's the 1st of April. So I'll come back to to that in a moment because it actually pertains to something I just received by email just now. But one thing that was announced, a new loudspeaker was announced a couple of weeks ago, is the Mission 770. Now, to understand what this is, if you're not like 70 years old, it's a, a speaker that first came out in 1978 it's been revived by mission. Now mission are owned by the international audio group, which I think is a Chinese consortium. They're generally known as IAG and they also own wharfdale. Now wharfdale have had tremendous success with their sort of vintage looking speakers. Mm. And I'm struggling to remember what they're called right now, which is, what's it called? The Linton, wharfdale Linton. Yeah. It's it's like a box, large stand mount speaker on a, on a, open stands and you can put your records in the bottom so i think iag have seen success from that model and thought well hang on a minute we also own mission we can do something similar with them so they're bringing back the 770 it looks pretty much identical but as with all of these sort of reboots the internals and the drivers completely new so i think from what i've read in the press materials a few weeks ago if i remember correctly The original 770 was the first loudspeaker to make use of polypropylene in its mid-bass driver. I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah. Right. And it was 20 centimeters in diameter. The new one is the same. But apparently the new mid-bass driver is made of polypropylene, but they've also added minerals to improve speed and rigidity. I don't know what minerals are. But, you know, the tweeter is still nearly three centimeters wide. Apparently, it's a big upgrade over the original. Um, The original, I think, had a plastic dome. This one is a silk dome, I believe, or microfiber. And this one also has a a damped rear chamber. Now, I learned a lot about this loudspeaker from my friend Terry Ellis' YouTube channel. He runs Pursuit Perfect System in the UK. And he Mm -hmm. did this great in-person interview with the designer of the new model, Peter Como. So... I'll put the link in the description box or in the show notes below this podcast because I, it's it's a great interview. It's super interesting, Peter Cuomo is Super charismatic. But this, you know, this speaker looks like it's just from the nineteen seventies. I guess you know that it kind of plays to the popularity of vintage speakers right now. I guess like vintage furniture is, you know, mid-century modern furniture is sort of very much in vogue. It is here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It is here as well, but I love it. I can't get enough of it. You know, there's kind of like slanted feet on everything. But anyway, so the new 770 is, if people want to know these kinds of things, 88 dB sensitive. It's nominally 8 ohms, and it goes down to 30 hertz, which is pretty deep. Hmm. Um, The last thing I want to tell you about it. How much is it? Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, so... I'm sure people who remember the original price will, you know, their eyes will be bulging because memory distorts our faculties somewhat. But the new one is going to sell for £3,500 per pair, Mm. but the stands are included. So it's not priced like the old one. And that's probably because new drivers, new tweeter, new crossover. The crossover is much more, I won't necessarily say sophisticated, but I think IAG and Mission have spent much more money on it this time out, so I think this speaker is interesting, Michael, because it it plays to sort of that Harbeth LS 35 A BBC sort of mentality, you know, amongst consumers. I think it'll do pretty well, despite the price.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I'm look. You know, I'm looking at it, and um, I do like the the overall look and the integrated and the stand is actually. I like the stand, very boxy, yep. which is fine by me. Uh, I, I do wonder because I don't recall what the original looked like. If that that large Mission Seven Hundred and Seventy logo was present on the original version, which you know, I can tell you it was, it
0: was present because wow. it's in Terry's video interview.
1: He had okay. the original
0: and the new one side by side, and uh, yeah, Mission Seven Hundred and Seventy is pretty large on the front of the speaker, isn't it? Yeah.
1: But was that? Yeah, but, I mean, you're yeah, older but, I mean, than me. I mean, You'll remember just,
0: this. <laughs> You'll know this.
1: <laughs> th- this was uh, my uh, junior in high school. So okay. I don't remember anything from that time period. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> For, perhaps not obvious reasons, but uh, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. But I think this, I, I do like these sort of rebirthed vintage speakers because if one thing, they get, they're, gonna, they're more than likely to sound better. They're not going to sound as woolly or as warm. And maybe that's something that people want, or maybe that's the, the idea that people kind of lust after, maybe. I don't know. Mm. But I think this one will be a bit, bit cleaner sounding, a bit like the JBL L100 Classic, which you w- I wouldn't describe that mm. as fat, chunky, and warm at all. It's much more resolving because, I guess, measurement techniques inside manufacturers are much more developed now. And they can iron out any of the sort of wrinkles in measured performance. I know that doesn't tell us everything, but it's still important to them as engineers. So I guess I think it will be a better speaker than the original, but it bloody won't be at three and a half grand. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Moving on. Uh, Next piece of news. This is kind of a minor update, but it kind of speaks to something I want to talk about is that Tidal Connect is now available for all DCS, well, pretty much all DCS products, the streaming products. So mm. if you do an update uh, to the firmware on your product, I did it to my network bridge this week and it added Tidal Connect. It's it's interesting because DCS have separate names for the app and the processor inside. So Mosaic Control is the app and Mosaic Processor is what's inside the unit. Now, I love Tidal Connect, just, let's put aside, for just for a moment, any sort of uh, debate about MQA or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I'll gladly put that aside. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it because if I'm out in the street listening to Tidal with a pair of headphones, when I come through the front door, all I've got to do is do two clicks, and I can hand off my stream to my main hi-fi system. Mm. I don't have to pull up the Mosaic app and then search for the song and... I've got Mm. to say navigation and search in these kinds of apps. I'm going to call them UPnP apps because that's a general catch-all term for apps that really aren't designed by streaming services. They aren't Rune or Audivan or anything like that. They are sort of, I don't want to say bolted on because I know that DCS put a lot of time and money into Mosaic and it is one of the better apps, a bit like Lightning DS and Blue OS. Mm. And I know Blue OS is Samba and not UPnP, but when... You have to use those apps to search for music, to browse music, just to browse. When I'm talking music, I'm talking Tidal and Cobas here.
1: Hmm.
0: It, for me, it's, it's never as satisfying as using Tidal's own app. Not really. So I'd much prefer to use Tidal's own app over these UPnP apps. And one culprit I do want to finger, and I know you and I have talked about this offline, Michael, is M Connect. MConnect <laughs> needs to just die in a fire because it's horrible. It's just, it's awful. And any manufacturer shipping a product that says, oh, you need you can use MConnect to get get Kobos or Tidal. Oh God, it's just the search functionality mm. isn't great. It it looks like it was designed 15 years ago. Maybe it was. I'm sure plenty of effort has gone into that app, but it doesn't speak to the standard of products that generally it ships with. It's not a high-end audio-type product, right? This is a disconnect there. So I like Tidal Connect, Spotify Connect, Rune, because they all allow me to use the app that I want to use rather than the integration in the manufacturer's own app. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to use UPnP apps to adjust the settings on a piece of hardware, like, uh, well, in the case of the DCS, the upsampling, or the filters, or something like that. That's fine, because then I only have to use it once every now and again, or maybe just to onboard the whole thing. But once I've done that and I've got the settings, I never really want to have to go back to that app. Hmm. This is my personal take on it. I mean, not everybody has to ascribe to this, but I just find those apps, I I don't know, I think they're in the way of me accessing music a lot of the time. And I I don't think they're as good as, you know, streaming services or, or Rune or... Just anybody making their own really in the app business because that's what Spotify are in. That's what Cobas are in. And I really wish a Cobas had a Connect service. I really wish they had one.
1: Uh, Isn't it coming or? I don't know. Have you heard something? I've I've not heard that. Boy, you know what? No, don't quote me on that. I'm not Mm. sure. I'm definitely going to quote you on that. that. Michael Lavonia
0: says, (laughs) Cobas Connect is coming next week. (laughs) Wait, let let me ask my ma. (laughs) Right yeah yeah so anyway so Tidal connect on dcs Tidal connect on anything i think is is a great move because it keeps us in the Tidal app
1: yeah i agree i just i just finished reviewing the uh the nad m10v2 mm-hmm. and um i agree i do think blue os is one of the better manufacturer built apps mm-hmm. but um yeah, they now support Tidal Connect. Yeah, they do. So why would you use
0: the Blow OS app instead of the Tidal Connect
1: or the yeah, Tidal, well, app, Right. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I well actually I I'm a if available, I just use Rune. And largely because um, my library is is a, a mix of locally stored files mm-hmm. and you know, the add to library function in Rune from Tidal and Cobus mm-hmm. because they don't have identical libraries. So some albums only exist on one or the other. Mm. And uh, Rune Radio is a big part of my listening day. So Mine too, but I
0: guess I do more out-of-the-house earphone and headphone listening than you do. So for me, the sort of continuity between outdoors and indoors sure. is, is more important. So, yeah, I mean, Rune is very much a, an at-home thing for me as it is for you but I can't use it outside of the house at
1: all. I never leave the barn, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> You mean your mom's basement, right? <laughs> <laughs> she keeps the door locked. I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ne-
0: next. Uh, may I do one more before we move on to sort of something we can both talk about? And I'll, I'll probably shut up uh, at that point. <laughs> I, just, I just also want to mention the Astell and Kern AKUW100 true wireless IEMs. Because this is a bit of an interesting one, in that Mm. they have a similar runtime to most IEMs. They have AptX on board, I believe. I I think they have AAC. Now, for me, you know, the what? Okay, there are two key advantages of of Bluetooth because these things use Bluetooth, right? The first advantage, obviously, is is to get rid of the wires. So, with Bluetooth earphones or headphones, there are no wires, which is great. Mm. But for me, the bigger advantage of true wireless earphones and also I guess, Bluetooth headphones, is that because Bluetooth carries the signal in the digital domain, when it arrives at the headphone, it can be processed. So mm. it can be processed to optimize the output of the driver. But the big thing, the big thing is active noise cancellation, right? Mm. This is, I think, why a lot of the Sonys and the, um, the Apple AirPods and the Pros are popular is because they can cancel some of the external noise. Now, the Aston and Kern don't have active noise cancellation. They're pinning their entire sort of promotional mm. shtick on these with passive noise isolation. Now, that can be good, but for me, it's never as good as having that and then also active noise cancellation. Yeah. Hmm. And if you don't have active noise cancellation, then why make a Bluetooth headphone? You're only kind of, I mean, yes, you're getting rid of the wire, but I guess... Or maybe you're optimizing the signal a bit better, or maybe it's just a way to kind of jump into a market that's very hot right now. Because true wireless IEMs are probably the mainstream's number one choice for audio on the go, music on the go. Mm -hmm. But I guess I just, I find it a little bit perplexing where companies bring to market a product that doesn't, you know, this Bluetooth and doesn't have active noise cancellation, especially a product with the sort of, um, what's the word, high-end audio pedigree that Aslan can have. I mean, they are, and certainly were for a long time, the number one name in portable audio. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it's super difficult to develop noise cancellation. I don't know. It's certainly very difficult to, to make it so that it beats Sony or Apple. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And if I'm correct, I believe these come in at right around 300 us. Right. It's the same price as the Sony, uh, what do mm-hmm. they call
0: WF 1000 XM four. So yeah, it's not, it's not, small change for these true wireless IEMs. I, I just find it a bit of a perplexing product release, really. I don't know. But then Aslan kind of always done wacky stuff, so maybe I shouldn't be so, <laughs> so surprised. I mean, yeah. I don't know. They, they, I like them because they take risks. And maybe this is a risk for them, and maybe I'm not seeing the, the where the risk might pay off here. So that maybe that's my weakness or maybe my, uh, or could be my undoing in saying all of this stuff about this product. But we shall see. You want to talk
1: about something that Rune are
0: doing, Michael, I believe.
1: Yeah, no, Rune um, recently opened a hardware store. Mm -hmm. I like to call it hardware. I think that's, uh, frankly, I think that's a good line, the Rune hardware store. Um, But yes, they're selling um, hi-fi gear, Mm -hmm. select hi-fi gear. I guess the word, the real word that, well, certainly they use is curated hi-fi gear.
0: I think it might be curated because they have to establish dealer slash distributor relationships around the world. I mean, that must be pretty complicated,
1: I would imagine. Right, yeah, I would imagine this. You know, this uh, this is a, a step that could potentially ruffle some feathers yes. out there. Um, so, yeah, I would think it was complicated and. Mm you complicated for any number of reasons, um, even logistically, and because. Well, let me let me let me back up and start with a, just a brief explanation. So, the two mm-hmm. categories currently available through the Rune Store are all-in-one speakers and music servers. Mm-hmm. And as you'd expect, um, under music servers, you can buy the Rune Nucleus or Nucleus mm-hmm. Plus. But then uh, there are also from Whirl Audio. Yeah, I no, I'd never heard of them before. until I saw the store. Yeah, it, yes, yeah, so it's yeah part of a whole home distribution system. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've never heard of them either. I mean, certainly I've heard of the other, you know, Crestron and mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. But anyway, those are just yeah. So the, the right and this is a new launch. So there there aren't many products available yet, but mm. more are promised to be coming very soon. Mm. Um, I mean, because they have the WLA
0: Phantoms and the Dutch and Dutch HC, which are both Rune-ready.
1: Yeah, Um, on the speaker side, yeah, and the Blue Uh, Sound Pulses, the Pulse 2 and the Pulse Mini, and Dutch and Dutch. I guess the question is, where is it going to ship
0: from? (laughs) Right? I mean, I guess I would assume the USA, but I could be wrong. It could be a global shipping thing. So, therefore, Rune have to put in sort of dealer setups in Europe, in the USA, maybe in Asia as well, I don't know. This is a huge undertaking for them. I guess they'll grow it over time, which is a good its a good way to do it rather than make a big splash and have everything available and then, I don't know, die a quick death because you can't cope. It's just, you know, do a few things, see how it goes, add a few more, see how it goes. It's a good way of
1: doing it. Yeah, I think so. And I do like the idea of a curated selection, not everything. Mm. You know, there, there are plenty of online places where uh, you can – Find just about anything. So you have to know what you're looking for going in. I think part of the, at least part of the language they're using today for the store is that, you know, this is a curated selection. So I guess mm. we shall see. I mean, I'm actually just looking and they're doing package deals as well. So that is interesting. So if you buy, I'm just as an example, if you buy a pair of Dutch and Dutch 8C speakers, mm. you get a free Nucleus Plus. And a year of Rune. Right. But the Dutch and Dutch speakers are close to 15,000 US. Yes. Yeah. I mean. uh, yeah. yeah 14950. Yeah.
0: Fantastic speakers. I'm glad they've got the, the Rune thing finally sorted out because they're amazing, those speakers. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to mention one more product, if I may, before we get to the other topic. Yeah. Because it just came in about an hour ago, right? And now the date, ah. the date on the press release is March 31st, but obviously it's arrived to me. April 1st. Hmm. Now, this is a risky gambit, don't you think? Because April 1st is when japers like you and I put out sort of April (laughs) Fool's content, but also manufacturers. A lot of them on Instagram I've seen today, I've shared at least four or five out where manufacturers have kind of got creative with imaginary products that could be a little bit funny, right? So for me, April 1st is the day you don't announce a new product, if it's serious, (laughs) where you just don't do it. But I got, I got a press release from Lionel Goodfield, who's a PR guy in the USA. And now, well, he's announcing new loudspeakers from Totem, who are Canadian. And mm. it's called the Kin Play Tower. So it's a, it's a well, floor-standing version, I guess, of the Kin Play. Mm. And it would be very easy to leap to the conclusion here that this is an active loudspeaker. But I don't think it is, because in the specifications I'm just looking at right now, it says the weight and it says the active module is 17 kilos and the passive module is 16 kilos. Now that suggests to me that maybe the amps are all in one speaker and there's like a, an umbilical link mm. between the two. I, I could be guessing, but I don't see active mentioned anywhere inside this press release. I can see that there is a powerful 200-watt channel amplifier combined with proprietary developed drivers on board. But it is, I guess you'd call it pseudo-streaming, in that it has AptX Bluetooth, but I don't think there's a network right. stream inside. It's got Toslink inputs, has a phono stage, a moving magnet, and it does have a subwoofer output as well. And what's the price? Yeah, it's twenty two fifty US dollars. Okay.
1: So Yeah, I didn't get the press release and I don't see it on the website. So yeah, I have nothing. I can't really add anything to the Right, it's a bit of a, it's a weird one. And tell what else is weird about it. And this is,
0: I think this goes back to the days when press releases were just maybe double-sided a four is that there are no photos supplied with the press release. I huh. mean, yes, there is one embedded, but it, I mean, embedded inside the PDF that's attached, which contains the full press release and there are inset photos there, but I can't use those to generate a new story. Mm, so yeah. it's, it's a little bit frustrating. That this has come on the 1st of April <laughs> and <laughs> there are no photos so i won't be running it as a new story but I, I wanted to kind of mention it here because of the date and because you know i, I want to give some love to the canadians and you know totem are our very well respected loudspeaker brand mm-hmm. so yeah it's called the kin play tower
1: i uh, guess it'll okay. be on their
0: website soon uh yeah 2250 us dollars repair anyway so show season michael hi-fi shows yes. are, back,
1: are back right They are. Show season is is upon us. Mm. Yeah, actually, I did attend uh, the Capital Audio Fest a few months ago, Mm -hmm. um, which was the first, for me, uh, the first show I had attended since Mm -hmm. pre-COVID. But, you know, next month, well, less than a month away now, um, is Expona Mm -hmm. in Chicago. Uh, Well, you know, I say that, right, because that's what... That's what, how it's, how it's represented Mm -hmm. expone to Chicago, but it's really in Schaumburg. So I know it's a subtle distinction, but when I say, you know, to my family, let's, you know, Oh, I'm going to Chicago. Oh, great. You get to go to Chicago. It's like, no, I don't really get to go to Chicago. It's too Mm -hmm. far away. I don't have the time to get to Chicago. Uh You know, it's like saying the New York audio show and having it in where I live, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, but anyway, that, you know, it's a, a quibbling quibbling aside, mm. exponent, and I believe this to be the case. I don't even have to check. Is the largest U.S. show these mm. days, right? And um, I was there in 2019, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a very good show. It was big, very well attended. I liked the venue. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping, well, it seems to be the case that the exhibitor count is, is what it was in 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll try to get that number as, um, stalling and speaking. Well, Um, I guess it will
0: be interesting to see how many show up this year, because obviously there's still the, uh, the specter of COVID looming over the whole thing. Although I did look at the covid case numbers on google yesterday for the chicago area and they went all the way up a couple of months ago and they've come pretty much all the way down again so it doesn't i mean i look at it and go well that's probably not too much of a risk for me personally i've never yes. been to expona and i i don't tend to go because of another show that's happening a few weeks later we'll come to that in a moment mm. but um yeah it seems to be a fairly reasonably safe bet but i do wonder what's the what's the uh the COVID safety policy: Do you have, do you have to wear a mask to go you in? You have to have a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> that might be a struggle for some.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, You just have to say you have a pulse. They're not checking pulses at the door. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but there you are have, no uh, huh? there are no
0: requirements. Okay, so you can go in and walk around no mask whatsoever. Yes. Yeah, see, I don't necessarily know how I feel about that. I know this is a personal choice and I realize that it's a bit of a hot button issue that can get pretty toxic pretty quickly, but I wear a mask, not just for me, but for the benefit of other people. But Mm. I realise that there's probably a bit more of a sort of, God, am I allowed to say that there's a bit more of a, I don't want to, do I want to say self-centered? You can, if you want. Well, (laughs) okay. More. Okay. Individualism, I think, is much further down the road in the USA than it is probably in Europe. Mm. Maybe that again, another politically charged statement. But I think well having said that though, that we've had a lot of anti-COVID protection measure protests in Germany, so it's pretty strong here Mm. as well. But the difference here is that COVID is COVID cases are out of control here. They're the worst that they have ever been. In the entirety of the pandemic and th- the reason i mention that is because the munich show is six weeks away yeah right um bavaria is still being hit pretty hard berlin yeah i guess also pretty hard but not quite as bad and i had a, a conversation with the high-end society's main guy this afternoon he's called stefan dryshaft um because he wanted to <laughs> he wanted to clarify the the mask policy for the Ah, show okay because i published a post on instagram saying that everybody has to wear uh, a mask and not just any old mask but a medical ffp2 mask Mm -hmm. and stefan phoned me up say actually john that's not true and i go dude it's on your website he's like yeah it is but things are in a serious state of flux and i can sort of see where he's coming from even though he says Mm. on his website that ffp2 masks are required and blah 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 Mm. but So today, April 1st, is Germany's kind of pseudo Freedom Day, where mask requirements are being dropped in supermarkets, in shops, in restaurants. You have to wear them on public transportation, uh, on flights, but that's pretty much it.
1: Mm.
0: Now, the reason this is a bit of a spicy situation is that, like I said, the COVID numbers are the worst they have ever been. Now there's no risk of hospitals being overwhelmed, as from what I understand from the news today, but there's still, you know, the the graph is it has it's never gone higher than it has, I think this uh, this week or last week. So I feel sorry for Stefan because he has to act according to Bavarian government guidelines.
1: Yeah, sure. So he yeah.
0: was telling me this afternoon that even if he wants to put a mask mandate in, in place for the for his show. Legally, he might, he doesn't know yet, might not be able to do that because in in German law, the free will of the people is almost enshrined. So you can't sort of take away freedoms if there's no legal ah. framework in place to, do, to be able to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he might want to put a mask mandate in place, but the law might not let him. Mm. And the thing is, the reason he wanted to phone me was because... It's still very much in a state of flux. He doesn't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with the COVID situation in Germany or how the state Bundesländer governments will react. Sorry, this is a very COVIDy kind of situation to lead up to like the Munich thing. But hmm. I do, I, yeah. It's, it must be really difficult, difficult for him because it, COVID in Germany is not like it is in Chicago right now. It's not in a
1: in a better place. It's pretty bad. I just want to finish off on that, um, exponent, just the hit the big numbers. So, they, there's over 150 listening rooms mm-hmm. and uh, 200, about 230 companies mm-hmm. <clears throat> represented. So, for the U.S., that's a big show. However, if you compare that to the Munich show, they mm-hmm. They say 550 exhibitors, 1,500 brands, mm. 21,000 visitors. So clearly Munich is the uh, King Kong of, it of is, yeah. shows. It is, yeah. yeah. I think the exponent attendance numbers were a bit under 10,000 last I read. That's what I remember, yes. Mm. yeah, But
0: it's, I don't know. I mean, people are asking me, John, are you going to Munich? Or when we, you know, can we make an appointment to see you in Munich? Sorry, I- I'm not going. I'm not going because of COVID. I don't want to put myself in a risky situation. I realize again that's personal to me, and mm. everybody else is free to make their own decision. But I'm I'm staying away this year. Well, it's it's not just that. It's also I think this year this year particularly my time is better spent making videos with Olaf here than it is making a show video that fewer far fewer people will, will watch.
1: Yeah, just to add, uh, I'm skipping Munich as well this year mm. for a number of reasons uh but i will be attending expona okay michael i admit it the
0: real reason i'm not going to, <laughs> to munich is because you're not going
1: <laughs> there you go and since we're coming clean it's my mother wouldn't let me go to munich
0: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> you'll be locked up in the uh, in, in the, the basement
0: yeah. in the barn yeah. I'm doing like I'm doing quote fingers right now. Barn. (laughs) Yeah, it's like um what's yeah, it's a bit like your barn reminds me of the Texas chainsaw massacre.
1: (laughs) Uh, Interesting. Well I don't have any chainsaws here, but I have a nice collection of axes. You're always grinding them. Get it from...
0: <laughs>
1: you walked right into that one. I suppose. You did. I didn't know I had to walk back in time to get to that joke. But. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've only got old
0: jokes. Um, are we done with the, um, the show talk? Do we want to say anything else about hi-fi shows? I mean... There are a few, there's one, I guess there's one
1: in Los Angeles, well, Orange County in June. Yeah. Pacific
0: show. Yeah, there's quite a few.
1: There's, there's, there's certainly there are more coming, but I'm not going to hit any of them because who knows, Mm. who knows, Uh, you know, hopefully things will continue to improve and we'll get back to, uh, to a place where we can count on, you know, things happening when, when they're supposed to happen. And let's, you know, I, you know, I hope that will be the case. I, of course, Munich is my favorite show mm. to attend for any number of reasons. Um yeah. So I, I really look forward to to being there next year.
0: Yeah, me too. I might consider Warsaw in November, but again, it's all COVID dependent. I've got no yeah. idea.
1: Yeah. Actually, that, re- that came up in conversation I was having about this very topic yesterday. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard only good things about the Warsaw show. So fantastic. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. I like these,
0: these big events because they make hi-fi look like a, a serious business, you know, which it, it, I don't want to say it's like super serious all the time because it can be, but as in like, it's not, it, it makes it look less like a niche full of weirdos.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> like a couch full of
0: weirdos. <laughs> yeah. I'm a weirdo I and mean, you're a weirdo. We're all pretty, you know, if you're going to be pretty yeah, well, weird to true, be into hi-fi. So yeah, can you just hang on a sec because one of my ceiling panels is about I think about to fall down and wow. I've just got to just got to reattach the velcro. Um oh. just <laughs> one second. Mm. Sorry. They've been well behaved for about 4 months but they've I don't know if it's the change in the weather or the mm. change in I don't know. Maybe it's because I played Diana Krall yesterday they're just re- reacting <laughs>
1: I don't know. <laughs> they're weeping. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm just reacting negatively. I don't know. <laughs>
1: So you didn't have to grab a ladder, right? You just reached up to your ceiling. No, I can and- actually reach my ceiling here. Yeah, that's all.
0: <laughs> so I don't need a ladder or, or a step to stand on. <laughs> but if I do, I'll be sure to let you know. I want to borrow yours.
1: <laughs> I heard you as you were walking over. Go ho ho ho. <laughs>
0: All right, let's talk about the main topic, um, yes. which is not, not a very big topic, I don't think, but it could be. Because th- I want to tackle this because whenever I make a video or written a review, and you've probably seen this when you you talk about a new product, right? It's a review of a new product or a product announcement. And then there's always, it's like somebody leaning in when you're sat at the movie theater. <laughs> they lean in real close and go, you know, you could get a much better sound for far less money if you buy secondhand. Right. And they do that. And you're like, and I feel paralyzed when I see that because I go, yeah, but you could say that about literally any product. But I I do want to tackle this head on because, yes, in the general sense, that is true. But that's also true of cars or of any kind of consumer grade product. But Mm -hmm. there are three. Sort of prongs to my counter argument here. And uh, let me talk about new gear to start with, first of all. So, with new gear, if I'm talking about it and I say it's like shipping now, it means it's going out through the dealer distributor network or it's being shipped worldwide direct and it's available pretty much everywhere, right? Mm. If you want to buy it, you can buy it. Mm. Generally speaking, in most territories, right? And also, the price will be pretty much consistent. I know there'll be territorial variations because of VAT. Pricing is pretty much consistent around the world and certainly consistent within those territories. So if you want to buy, I don't know, let's just pick an example like a DCS Bartok in Australia, if you look around, the price will be the same in most of the dealers. I mean, yeah, you can chop around and maybe you can twist the dealer's arm to give you a bit of discount, but it's not going to be dramatically different, right? Mm-hmm. So availability is consistent, price is consistent, and then we come to condition. Well, it's new, so sure. everything is going to be new, backed by a warranty, so you don't have any concerns about you know it, it falling over in, in I don't know the first couple of months. If it does, you're covered in almost all cases. Anyway, so we've got consistent availability, consistent price, consistent condition. Now, if we cut over to used goods, secondhand market, that's not the case. So for example, some guy, some some reader, emailed me last night going, hey, John, there's a Name Nate 2 on eBay in Hamburg. You should buy it. (laughs) Now, I might, if it's still there, I might do that because they don't come up very often. Mm. Certainly in the EU, they come up more often in the UK because they're more popular in the UK. In Australia, when I wanted to buy one about 10 years ago, super hard to find. And also, we come back to price. So, not only is the consistent, in, sorry, inconsistent availability, inconsistent pricing worldwide. Mm. Because I could probably buy this one now for 500 euros. But if somebody in Australia wanted one right now, there may not even be a single one on eBay. And if there are, who knows? what condition it's in. Now we come to condition, right? Like mm. what kind of, is it, does it have any faults? Does it, does it need recapping? Because it's a you know, amplifier from what, 40 years ago. So it might have developed some faults with age. Mm. So you don't have this. There's no consistency with secondhand goods. Availability is spotty. Prices can depend hugely upon where you live and where the product originally was made or how long ago it was made, right? If it's a recent product, like a, again, pulling one out of the air, Denifrips DAC, mm-hmm. you know, there might be a few knocking around on used boards and on eBay around the world. There may be, but there might not. And in five years, there may be virtually none. And again, we've, you know, you still, and this is a thing that really put me off when I was starting out in hi fi and properly, you know, in that 2006 was that I was terrified of buying secondhand because I didn't know enough about hi-fi to really know what kind of problems to look for, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this is a big one, because like when I, if I buy a car, I'm not going to just go and buy it. I'll take somebody with me or get one of those official inspections done because I don't know. It's like when you buy a house, you get somebody to inspect it, right? Because they know what to look for and most people don't. Mm. So that's my... Little rant about
1: secondhand gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty much in a, in agreement. Uh, in terms of, uh, you you certainly have to be careful when you're buying secondhand gear. Mm. Um, and I would not ever buy a mechanical device. CD player, turntable, used. Uh-huh. I just wouldn't. I mean, unless you know. I, and the big caveat that I'll throw in, um, unless we're talking about classic vintage gear, there's uh-huh. some classic vintage gear that sure. If I was at a yard sale and somebody had a a Gerard 401, I you know I'd snap that up uh-huh. <laughs> if it wasn't a lot of money, but. You know what I'm saying. I mean, I wouldn't buy – I just don't like the idea of buying used mechanical devices, especially turntables, because you have no idea how that thing was treated, which can affect its functionality. If not today, then certainly mm-hmm. you know going down the line. And the last thing I want to do is shell out real money um, to buy something that doesn't work properly and have no recourse whatsoever. <laughs>
0: Right, because I had this happen to me actually just before Christmas. So I bought my girlfriend a a vintage dual turntable, and it was a bit of a risk, a bit of a a bit of a gamble. I knew it, I knew it going in, but it was only a few hundred bucks. I thought, Mm. okay, I'm going to do this because it just looked like it was an okay deal. And I got it here and I tested it, and it looked to be working perfectly fine. But then when we set it up at her house, I did notice that the auto lift at the end of the side it wouldn't go directly up and then across it would kind of go diagonally and it would just sort of graze the, the last few grooves of the record and make a shing sound. Mm. Now this was two months later that I discovered this. It's not a a big deal. It's not a big deal to my girlfriend. She doesn't really mind too much. Um, I'm going to better get a, a better turntable in the future, but that will be a new turntable. So there was that kind of, I guess that quirk with that turntable that's, You know, to get it repaired, it's probably going to cost me another couple hundred bucks. It's just not worth it. Right. So it's between, I'm sort of between a
1: rock and a hard place, you know? Yeah, well that, right. And that is something to keep in mind. Not only the cost of repairs, but finding someone Mm -hmm. who can actually do uh, good, who does good repair work Mm -hmm. and who is dependable. And that is not always an easy person to find, in my experience anyway. Not at all. I wouldn't have a clue where to start here. And I've got the language barrier to deal with as well. Hmm. Yeah, and of course, you know, I mean, as as things age, especially speakers, you know, if you're talking, like, you know, I see people online, you know, talking about, oh, these great, oh, God, do you remember those great speakers from the 70s? And it's like, yeah, but, you know, the the, the odds of finding impaired that are in good working order Mm. you know, diminish over time. That's all there is, you know, that's all there is to it. Mm. And with, you know, any kind of electronic device, you know, parts tend to to fail over, over time. So it's, you know, I love the idea. I do own an old Sansui integrated amp from the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, that I paid $70 for many years ago. And luckily it still works fine, but, mm. you know, I wouldn't, uh, recommend, you know, go. Oh, yeah, the San Sui that I have blows away. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, I can speak to this a little bit, actually, because mm. I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Pete McKenna in Sydney, because what he does is he buys old Sansui amps, the the black ones from the 70s. Yeah, that's what he, I have, yeah. Right. And he recaps them. And re- yeah. so he, he did one for me about like, eight years ago. And the thing is, I mean, Pete does an amazing job. And if you want that amp, that's what you do. It yes. wasn't, wasn't crazy expensive. His services weren't crazy expensive. It was just great. But I did find the sound to be a little bit boring. Now, maybe that was the the nature of that amp to begin with. I don't know. But it, it didn't wow me in the way that I thought it might. And I think maybe I was being tricked by, by my own sense of nostalgia.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to kind of remember things because our brain – sorry, easy to remember the positive things because our brain it, – it, the way it works is it filters out the negative. I want to come back to a couple of examples actually of issues that I've had with used gear, because this was when I was just really doing hi-fi on my own in Sydney before I started writing about it. And what I was doing, I was buying a lot of gear, trying it out and then selling it just so I could gain experience. Mm. And that from, that, I still recommend that as the number one way to be an audiophile, the doing rather than just sitting behind a keyboard and wondering what if and asking people or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. So I bought a pair or I provisionally bought a pair of Acoustic Energy AE-1 speakers. Mm. And I went to his house, gave him a quick look over, gave him his money, went home. But his his house was a little bit darker than mine because it was a, I think it was an older terrace or something like that. So what I couldn't see at his house, Mm. I could in my brightly lit apartment was that the, the rubber surrounds on one speaker had completely gone, Ugh. just completely rotted. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the seller was, a, a, he was great about it. It was like, yeah, sure, bring it back, give your money back, no problem. Hmm. But it's still an irritation. <laughs> oh my God, that acoustic panel just fell down right in front of me. <laughs> oh of gosh. <laughs> I'm gonna have to talk to Voicoustic about this. Um, so yeah, like it, it was just, it was, I guess you call it a minor irritation especially when you get excited about buying something in inverted commas new. Mm. And then you realize that it's, yeah, it's faulty and it, it takes the shine off because even if he, you know, had them repaired for me on his dime, I would, I wouldn't have wanted to proceed with a sale because it's sort of, I don't know. It just, it just ruins the experience, not through anybody's fault. No one's a fault here. Mm. And that happened as well with a, a, a musical fidelity. Amplifier. I think it was called the XA1. Hmm. It was that weirdly shaped musical fidelity with a big chunky power supply that sat on the floor. Um, and I bought it used from this guy that had this huge warehouse of secondhand hi-fi gear. It's kind of weird, but I thought, all right, hmm. go and pick it up, take it home. And I was using it for a few days, and then I just turned the volume knob, and the volume knob came off its slider right in my hand. Now, <laughs> you know how I was saying you don't know what to look for, or you don't know when you don't know about hi-fi, you don't know whether this is a big problem or a small problem. For me, it was like, this is a disaster. This thing has to go back. And again, the guy was good enough to offer me a refund, but he's like, maybe you want to take something else instead. Hmm. So, because I didn't want to keep the XA1, he's like, he offered to glue it back on for me. And nowadays I'd be, quite, I'd be totally happy with that because I know that that's not a big problem. And it's not going to pr- probably cause further problems, but I didn't know that at the time. So I took um, an ArCam integrated, mm. and that wasn't quite as enjoyable. But its volume wheel had this kind of stiff, sort of plastic feel. It wasn't free flowing. <laughs> it didn't feel nice to use at all. Mm. And I don't know whether that was a, a fault or not. But I couldn't really go back on that one because I didn't know whether, it, yeah, just didn't know whether it was a problem or not. But it still, I still wasn't happy with it. So all of these little experiences just kind of clocked up in my head. And I thought, well, yeah, buying secondhand is fraught with risk. And that's I was buying in person, so I wasn't having anything shipped to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will say I I should, you know, come clean and share that in many years ago, in the 80s, well, yeah, really about around then, in the 80s, after college, Mm -hmm. so like mid to late 80s and into the early 90s being just out of college, you know, funds were at a minimum. (laughs) So Mm. I did buy, you know, I did buy used. I was buying used gear back then. Mm. Not everything I bought was used, but I did, you know, I did go through a number of things and I had definitely had my share of issues, especially CD players. And that's one reason why I say today, Mm. I would try to avoid buying something like a CD player use. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my experience once i bought a few things used and they turned out not to function properly mm. it kind of put a nick on the whole experience because even if i bought something used got it home and it appeared to be working right i started to have this creeping doubt like how do i really know it's it's working yeah. up to its full <laughs> right potential i don't and it, you know it just got to be you know, it, it got to be a real problem. So, mm. so then I, you know, I mean, I made it you know, really once I started working and had decent income, I was buying new gear, you know, that's all, mm. that's just the way it went for me. Anyway, I guess I have more faith in manufacturer
0: refurbished gear or a gear that's been, has gone back mm. to the home base and has been checked over by the manufacturer before they've Sold it or whatever that you know, however, whichever channel they choose to sell it through. Um, and I also have a bit more faith in gear that's maybe sold secondhand through a dealer because very often they're on consignment and a dealer is not going to take it just any old crap because it's his reputation on the line as well. So I I know, I know a few dealers here in Germany that you know sell stuff on consignment or just have stuff on the floor that Mm -hmm. is used, they've taken as trade ins and things like that. So I, I do have faith in that. And that is probably a good way to go. If it's it's probably the, the happy compromise when buying used yeah,
1: dealer demo stuff as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I guess all of this is what I want to say to people when hmm. they comment beneath the YouTube video, do you realize you could get much better if you buy used all hmm. of this is what I want to say to them, but I never have the time or the inclination <laughs> to write it all out. So I just wanted to kind of go over it today. So I've got something to point them to it. So go listen to my podcast on used gear. Right. And then hopefully that will give them the answer that I want to give them without getting into this huge to and fro, um, in the comments, because I definitely don't want to have the time for that. So yeah. (laughs) Do we have anything more to add on used gear, Michael, or shall we move on to recommended albums? Yeah, no, I'm good. I, I, I'm good on used
1: gear. I think. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right. Do you want to
1: give us your recommended album for this month? Absolutely. So the band uh, name is King Hannah, Mm -hmm. H-A-N-N-A-H. And the Mm -hmm. album title, it's their debut album. It's called I'm Not Sorry, I Was Just Being Me. (laughs) It's a great title. (laughs) It's a great title. It is a great title. So this band, it's a a duo from the UK. Hmm uh the uh, the lead singer is hannah merrick mm-hmm. and the guitar players craig and i'll try to pronounce it without new jersey craig mm-hmm. whittle <laughs> that's right Whittle. yeah <laughs> yes um and to me i mean i do i just you know i have to say first off i just I really am enjoying this record I almost feel guilty about how much I'm enjoying it how much I'm playing it over and over again mm. because it is in many ways um, well not that this is a problem but it's it's very kind of straightforward uh, um, rock if I can if I can put it that way mm-hmm. and to my mind it, it fits in with like early, Early Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, earlier P.J. Harvey, mm. um, Crime the City Solution. Uh, the guitar player, this Craig Whittle, um, to my mind, I'm hearing like Roland S. Howard sound from, from mm. his guitar. And it's that kind of, and it also comes with that kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, the... Uh, her vocal style, uh, Hannah Merrick's vocal style is that kind of uh, attitude, attitude, attitude. <laughs> um, I can see why you like it. Yeah, it's just really working for me. the hmm. The first track um, is called "A Well Made Woman," mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if uh, you just give it, give it a few, give it a few seconds, and you'll know, you know, you, you'll get the message. Hmm. Um, but as an album, it really works. And and uh, they do share vocal duties, you know, the, on some tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I, it's it's just total fun for me, this record. Okay. So I'm going to recommend an album called Weird Fiction. And it is
0: by a guy, well, the artist's name is Al Chem. So it's A-L, new word, C-H-E-M. Hmm. And I discovered this, I think I read about it on Pitchfork, maybe just a throwaway comment about it. But it's one of the strangest sort of, it is sort of electronic music, but not really. Hmm. Because it's it's also partially dub music. And I think in the Bandcamp notes, it says, No Hopper, the lead track and the final track, is a rework of the Raz Michael song, No Hoppers from his legendary album, Rastafari dub, ah, but this, okay. the, but this is dub filtered through sort of Berlin sort of techno lens. I mm. tell, it's not duff duff techno, it's not that kind of thing. It's very slow, head noddy. And then there's, well, that's the first track, on, uh, yeah, the, the instrumental version. There is a more sort of straightforward electronic track on here, but it sounds like nothing else that I've ever really heard before. It's, it's almost like it's, it's own little universe, mm. which is my favorite kind of record. Yeah. Because there's no sort of, well, there is obviously a dub crossover. But it doesn't sound like a Jamaican dub record at all. Mm. So I, I find this absolutely fascinating. It's on Bandcamp. I'm kicking myself now because I remember looking at the vinyl a couple of years ago and going, shall I, shan't I? And I didn't do it. And now it's sold out because it came out in 2017. Yeah. But, you know, six British pounds gets you it on, uh, on Bandcamp. So I guess it's about eight euros, maybe 10 US dollars. Hmm. I think it's a great record. It's got a, a kind of an odd sleeve. It's I think it's made by a guy called Alexander Christou.
1: Yeah, that's I'm looking at the Bandcamp page. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I should have mentioned uh the album I spoke about was released in February of this year. Just okay. a side note. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so this um this alchem weird fiction. I mean, I pulled it out while I was in Portugal and had another lesson. I'm going. Yeah, this is still as good as uh, good as I remember it. So, yeah, go check it out. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. But it's it's not one of my weirder sort of electronic record suggestions that I normally come out with. So it's uh, (laughs) it's a little bit more friendly, I think, to newcomers. I hope.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's you know what? That's a good word for the for the record. I was talking about friendly, Mm -hmm. and that's perhaps explains some of my reticence language because it's much friendlier than a lot of the music i tend to enjoy
0: well i guess this is the day to do it because it's the first of april so even though this this podcast will be going up and it'll be well past the first of april by the time people listen to this but whatever anyway i think that's a wrap on a very short episode michael thank you ever so much once again for joining us from the barn (laughs) my pleasure You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.